have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun. Yes, marching and resist. Pump your fist. Wave your hand in the air just like this. I'm your host here live on BNN Media Television. My name is Sharon Hinton, your host and producer of On Another Level. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Frederick Douglass. My guest, Judith Foster, is the founder of the Hero Nurturing Center, and she also has a series of workshops talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Frederick Douglass. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. So we're going to, I want you to see a clip. Some of you guys may or may not know about Frederick Douglass. You probably heard the name, but do you know who we're talking about? I want you to watch this clip, and then we're going to come back and talk to my guest, Judith Foster, about Frederick Douglass and the reading workshops and why he's so important and he should be important to you. Stay tuned. Famed author Frederick Douglass worked tirelessly as an abolitionist and an advocate for equal rights. You can't talk about the history of civil rights in this country without talking about Frederick Douglass. Long before Dr. King, the civil rights movement, here's a man who was talking about basic dignity for people in this country. Born into slavery in Talbot County, Maryland around 1818, Frederick Douglass became educated first through his master's wife and eventually on his own. Douglass escaped slavery in 1838 by fleeing to New York and became a preacher the following year. Certainly, during Douglass's time, literacy for Africans was absolutely forbidden. In fact, it was very clear that once Africans could read and write, many wrote their own passes, which allowed them to move from place to place, and obviously this was disruptive to a very repressive system. After his anti-slavery lectures caught the attention of William Lloyd Garrison, the editor of the abolitionist paper, The Liberator, Douglas began touring the United States as a speaker with the American Anti-Slavery Society. Many whites refused to believe that Frederick Douglass had ever been a slave because he was so obviously intelligent, he was such a powerful speaker. In 1845, Douglass wrote and published his first autobiography entitled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Although the book was a U.S. bestseller, Douglas was forced to live in Europe for two years to evade recapture. He ultimately purchased his freedom in 1847. People were shocked about Frederick Douglass, an ex-slave, writing his autobiography. And it was so poignant, and it was such a bird's-eye view of what was going on on the plantation. He put it in very plain language, and it was just a powerful testimony of why slavery needed to end in our country. Douglas became the only African-American to attend the first women's rights convention in 1848. And by 1861, Douglas was famous nationwide, advising both President Lincoln and Johnson on the welfare of African-Americans. By any measure, Frederick Douglass was a real American hero. He was a public intellectual, he was a statesman, he was an activist, and his life and his political commitment were dedicated to human rights not just to civil rights or to the end of slavery. 
During his lifetime, Douglas was U.S. Ambassador to the Dominican Republic. And in 1872, he became the first African-American to appear on a presidential ballot when he was nominated as vice president. Frederick Douglass died on February 20, 1895, from natural causes. Frederick Douglass, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, so my guest, Drew the Foster, is fascinated with Frederick Douglass. Need I say fascinated with Frederick Douglass, but she's also been doing her homework on him, his, his life, his history, um, and the importance of Frederick Douglass. Welcome back. Thank you. So Frederick Douglass, of all the people that you could have picked, you picked Frederick Douglass. Why? Because, you know, um, going through at the last cycle of COVID-19 and all of the you know, despair, depression mm -hmm. that we're hearing about. Hero Nurturing Center that I created is all about resilience building. Tell me what HERO stands for, H-E-R-O. HERO stands for Healing, Empathy, Redemption, Oasis. Okay. Now, Frederick Douglass, how does he fit? He's a hero, as you heard the man say. And I wanted to, uh, again, I did my history and, you know, did a deep, real deep dive and to back up a little bit when I was on the radio broadcasting mm -hmm. right after the former president was elected mm. if folks remember he him. spoke him who <laughs> shall remain nameless right 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 orange man yes him he referred to Frederick Douglass as if he were still alive I don't know if you I remember, that. remember that I remember that <laughs> and so I found it to be fascinating so that's you know I started re-imagining and re, uh, re um my, my, my interest in Frederick Douglass was reignited, let's say, and after my research on him for the radio broadcast that I was doing, I just started reading more about him and just became more fascinated with him. And I have an opinion about his juxtaposition with Juneteenth. So mm. the arrival of Juneteenth and the work that we do in resilience building made Frederick Douglass the perfect subject and also personally mm -hmm. for me. The perfect subject. So tell us some things that, that you and I were talking about it. Yeah. Um, and talking about him. Yes. A lot of things that people don't know. Tell me um, one of the things, well, two of the things that people tend to not know about Frederick Douglass. Well, one, that he was married twice. First wife was a black woman that he was married to for a long time. All of his children are from her. Five children, yeah. Yes. And then he was married a second time to a white woman. And she's the one that helped him write the book yes. that eliminated the black woman. Yes. I'm just telling y'all. Right. Why she was writing your story. Exactly. <laughs> and, well, one more thing that folks may not know, and that um, he was actually at the first women's rights convention right. in Seneca Falls, New York. With Katie Stanton. Absolutely. Yep. And spoke on behalf of women. So, again, Frederick is by far, a trailblazer, hero, and such a resilient man. The other thing that's deep, too, is because, and most people don't know this, especially um, <clears throat> some white feminist ally friends, um, that Katie Stanton really didn't want black women involved in the women's liberation movement. Unfortunately. And Frederick Douglass was one of the men, or the first men, that really kept speaking up 
on behalf of that. It's like, you know, what are you talking about? And also, as you said, Juneteenth is coming up and July 4th. Yes. So, and he specifically, Frederick Douglass, spoke about, you know, what is what are we celebrating for as black Americans on July 4th? Yeah, and that's Famous the speech. speech. That's the speech that we'll be uh, dissecting, if you will. We'll do the full reading on the 17th in his honor and I believe his juxtaposition with um, Juneteenth. And um, then the nine Saturdays in July and August and a few in September will go into the meat and potatoes of that speech. Speaking of meat and potatoes, so um, some of the clips that we're going to run, and I think because um, we're early on into it, I, there's another clip that I wanted to run during this segment about Frederick Douglass. Five things that you may not know about Frederick Douglass. Stay with us. Stay with us to get this information on another level. Can we run that second clip, please? The first thing to understand about Douglas is that he spent 20 years as a slave, both on the eastern shore of Maryland and in Baltimore. He suffered or experienced virtually all the physical and psychological traumas and scarring that slavery could wreck upon a human being. He also had the good fortune of being sent by his owner, Thomas Auld, to Baltimore, to a city, to an urban area where he not only found work in the docks, although dangerous work, but he was able to expand his literacy and expand his worldview and see the sailing ships and make friendships in the streets of Baltimore, not only with young white boys, but with older black preachers and eventually with the free black community of Baltimore. But Douglas left slavery with a rage in his heart, a scarring in his soul, that he needed to vent and expend uh, throughout, frankly, most of the rest of his life. And he was very lucky, I would argue, that he was able to do this through language. He didn't have to do it through physical violence. Because he became such a master of words, he was able to expend that rage in his soul, in his speaking, and in his writing. Millions of Americans saw their country, their story, through the ancient biblical story. But Douglas made the most of it. And he delivered few speeches that didn't have direct lines or paraphrases from especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So only through those kinds of biblical stories could Douglas tell the story of his own people. Douglas's entire family went to war. He recruited two of his sons, Lewis and Charles, into the famous 54th Massachusetts Regiment. His third son, Frederick Jr., uh, enlisted to be a recruiter of black troops in the lower Mississippi Valley. And his whole family, in effect, was at war by 1863, whatever the outcome might be. Uh, and for Douglas, this war was what he had dreamed of, and its results also were what he had dreamed of. Those were five things you probably didn't know about Frederick Douglass. The thing about people's lives um, especially when you're coming from an oral tradition, and most people of color have oral traditions that aren't necessarily written down. Um, if you're doing your homework, you'll find out things like we just talked about my guest and I do the foster, find out he was married twice. Most people don't know Harriet Tubman was married 
twice. And so you go into these movies and you see these documentaries. And by the way, WGBH uh, recently had two documentaries, and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass were pretty good. Yes. Not as extensive as I like, but they were still pretty good. Yeah. Um, so you and I were talking about some other things people may not know about Frederick Douglass. I think one of the things is that people don't realize that he was a fugitive slave and a runaway slave when he decided to speak. Absolutely. Tell us some more about that. Well, you know, um, during his whole time that he, you know, ran away several times trying to escape enslavement. And so while he was on the road, and as the documentary explained, why he's, again, the perfect subject for resilience building, the trauma and the scarring from being whooped all the time and whipped and whipped. When he was young, yeah. When he was young. And in his 20s is when, again, he started writing these speeches. And for me, it was all about, so again, people think, oh, he just came to the North. Well, the North is where the slave catchers were waiting as well. Mm. So just because he came to Boston or you know, New York doesn't mean that he was free of enslavement or the, the threat of being re-enslaved. And so while he's on the road, he's unafraid, courageous and brave. Again, this is why he's the perfect, resilient building uh, example, mm. because he was unafraid. He could have been, you know, brought back into enslavement, beaten, killed, killed even, right, or, or, or tortured, right? And so he did not care about any of that. He cared about getting his message across. And he also was out of the country for a while. Yes, he was in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I think, so for me, the fact that he was in, he had escaped, right? And again, why he's the perfect resilient uh, example of resilience. He escaped, left America, could have said, you know, forget, you, it. forget it. I'm out. I'm free. I'm out. I'm free. You See all, you later, bye. not my problem, <laughs> you know. But given his loyalty to his brothers and sisters, he came back to this country. And I do believe that's where he met his second wife and she uh, helped purchase his freedom. Uh, while he was in uh, Ireland. Well, his second wife, his first wife died. But she's the yes. one that had all, all the kids that ended up going to the 54th yes. Regiment. Yes. I don't think a lot of people actually know that Frederick Douglass's sons were actually in the 54th yes. Regiment, which was stationed in Hyde Park Absolutely. In and there's a statue uh, of that in, in downtown Boston, right at the, the foot of the State House, where a, a previous reader, Frederick Douglass, that I was a part of, the first one, actually, that I'd taken a part of. So now happened. when you, tell us about the Hero Nurturing Center also. You started this, how did, what was it that caused you to start um, this particular, this nonprofit that has actually, has actually been, um, some of the other seeds have been this Frederick Douglass reading and then the Cuba trip, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But you originally had this inspiration, this idea of doing the Hero Nurturing Center. What is it specifically? If I go into the, like where is it? And then if I walk in there, what do I get when I walk in there? Well, since COVID, we'd lost, we lost our, our office building. Oh. So we're no longer uh, brick and mortar. Okay. So uh, Detective Larry Ellison, whom I love, love and love adore, he allowed me to use his office for a number of years. At Manlio. At Manlio, yes. So that was where uh, Hero was located. That was our home for uh, many years. But, you know, regime change and all of that and COVID. So, uh, yeah, so here was about using nature as a healing conduit. So not having a Where's brick and mortar. Where's that little thing that we had, that little, 
You have that little the board. Oh, it's over I, there. Yeah, because we'll get it during the yes. break. Don't worry about it. So um, we we're again we are stewards of nature by birth. I'm Jamaican, and if you say, well, how did I start? Well, I started because I needed comfort and healing and redemption and the oasis, the environment for that to all take place, right? Mm. And I couldn't find it any place. And so I decided, well, from what a, a, an elder said to me, well, whatever God is doing for you, that's what you should be doing for someone else. Mm. And I'm a nature lover. Whenever I'm sad, there's music, there's art, and there's mother nature for me. So taking a walk, my mother sent me to Jamaica because again, my tragedy started in 2013 February 22nd, mm. with the murder of my son, Paul Anthony Fife Jr. Mm. And so this is all in hindsight, because again, I was just in the mire clay, if you will. I was in the mud of sorrow, grief, and despair. And of course, I couldn't see. But through divine eyes, I somehow came up with this idea of the Hero Nurturing Center, where folks can go and not have to explain what's happening to re-traumatize themselves by mm. retelling the story over and over again. At Hero, we don't, we don't allow that. We don't, you tell it when you're ready, mm. right? We also have the uh, philosophy that Mother Nature is the only one size that fits all. Mm. Yeah? So, so the readings and the workshops that you have on Saturday are actually at the Boston Nature Boston Center, Boston Nature right? Center, yes, where our programs are, are mostly held over there, the Nature Healing Walks. And the whole purpose of it is to reconnect us to Mother Nature. There's a deficit disorder that I want to bring your attention to. It's called the Nature Deficit Disorder. Mm -hmm. And that, again, just simply means that we have lost our connection to our source. So now it's interesting that you say that. I have a, I'm, I'm blessed to have a beautiful backyard. And um, I remember reading, and I don't, I don't know if it's the American Medical Association or someplace. It wasn't just a crunchy granola kind of, you know, <laughs> green thing kind of thing. But they were saying that um, as much as you can to get outside and walk in the grass, like yes. on your bare feet. Yes. And there's a healing that happens from Absolutely. your connection with nature. Yes. And then my, my daughter... Um, reminds me because she has a degree in in uh from UMaine in animal husbandry what is it wildlife forestry and animal science mm. so um and I actually found a bunny in our yard in the middle of the city which Beautiful. kind of freaked me out a little bit but then I, when I was thinking about it in my yard you know we have the stuff there for living things to come and thrive and so we actually saw a bunny and then we saw a squirrel with baby squirrels. We had, you know, birds come in and have babies. Beautiful. And I said, you know, as annoying as it is the bird crap, like on some of the lawn chairs, <laughs> you still like the idea of the fact that our land is so healthy. This is where they want to come. Yes. And safe enough so yes. they think they want to procreate, yes. right? Yes. And so for people that are stressing um, pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, there's something about just sitting there and watching nature in front of you. Absolutely. And like we have a bird bath and everything. So they come there, it was, it's not warm now, but when it was warm last week, watching birds come in and actually sip the water, but then bathing in yes. the water and bring another, and there's a peacefulness and calmness. It's a therapeutic, science, science proven. And so here and was even a, the hugging trees. Yes. So we're all about teaching you how to have these tools, okay. not have you beholden to someplace like Hero. 
So again, we want to establish a place where people can come if they need it to be reminded, right? Or given the tools, if you've not ever known about these tools to build resilience, mm -hmm. and nature is everywhere, but we know that for Boston and lots of inner cities, the access to nature, is, nature isn't equal, right? And our parks are sparse, environmental racism. if you will. Yes, environmental racism, it's not by you know, coincidence or accident that these things have happened. They've been systemically planned by policy just as enslavement was systemically planned by policy. And again, we still have a lot of work to do because again, the, the 13th Amendment, it still says that if we go to prison, we can still be so you're a slave. enslaved all over again. So we have lots of work to do. The other thing too is, that, and I'm so, <laughs> There is a friend of mine who's actually working with a um, legislative body to research and investigate and hopefully reverse the effects of these heat islands. Mm. So you're in environmental work, and yes. I'm around a lot of people that do environmental work. And so when we talk about food deserts yes. and heat islands yes. and lack of green space yes. and environmental racism, yes. let's break it down for you know, those who are slow and don't know or those who want to know and want to know more, because that's what this show is about, bringing it to another level. Um, in the urban areas, I remember growing up on Magnolia Street, and there were trees on both sides yep. of Magnolia Street. Yep. So when I would walk to school, there was a certain part of the spring where there were these beautiful flowers. First you had the smell, yes. and then you had the beautiful flowers. Yes. It didn't last long, because no. they don't last long. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one tree Not one. on Magnolia Street Not now. one. Um, Lawrence Avenue. I remember, so I'm, I'm bringing myself back. I'm dating myself, y'all. Yes. The quarries, what we called the quarries, which was in between Devon, Brunswick, Stanwick, and it was all green as a kid. Now there's a middle school there, the Little Frederick, and there's a football field. And before that, there was Freedom Foods, but there was still green space. The mm -hmm. black supermarket still mm -hmm. green space. But I remember as a kid, literally walking across Interville Street, and behind those triple-deckers was all green. And we could go behind there, and you'd find turtles and snakes and skunks and all this other stuff. And we had this little, you know, this tree. When I think about the stuff we did as kids, we're like, we were insane. Because yeah. we didn't think anything was going to happen to us. But, you know, the tree with the tire, with the rope and oh, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we're going exploring in green space in the city. You really have to look for green space in neighborhoods in the city now. Yeah. So what does that do to a person's um, sense of health and wellness well, and their connection to well, what's going to keep them alive, which is water and air and breathing and well, nature? Well, first of all, the science says that, again, the air, if it's toxic that you're breathing in and you can't segregate the air, it affects your cognitive abilities. That means your ability to learn your ability to follow rules, your ability to follow instructions, your ability to understand, you know, task, um, your, your role mm -hmm. in society. So toxicity, whether it's in the food, the air, the water, mm -hmm. it affects all of your cognitive abilities. And not only that. And your children as they're growing up. Absolutely. And so, you know, the science is all, it's all there, laid there. This is why, again, I, and bringing awareness to the fact that we need to reconnect to Mother Nature. We need to get out of our homes, get back to where we find our kids playing safely on the streets and in the parks, right? Because again, when I was growing up, we could play Foursquare 
on my block without worrying about in the street. Yes, getting hit. Absolutely, without getting hit, and people would actually wait, right? If they're going down the street about their respective business, they would wait until you, you know, collect your ball and do whatever right. and right. move out the way. Right. It's not the same for our kids now. Right. As we see, we're not safe. They're not safe in schools either. So this is one way, <laughs> if I invite you over to the Nature Center, which is again labeled in the paper as a hidden jewel, hidden gem. And can we bring up that, bring up the flyer too, about the workshops while you're talking about them? Yeah, and so again, what I do is, is multifold, it's complex, right? So mm -hmm. bringing folks into the Nature um, Center where they probably didn't know that it existed in the first place, mm -hmm. that's a win, right? Mm -hmm. uh, having someone take a walk through the Nature Center and having that feeling. Which is right in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood. Street, American Legion yes, Highway. Yes, right across from Wendy's, up the street. It's right across well, from the... Let's not use Wendy's. Oh, yeah, from, from, <laughs> but I hear you. I from know, the I cemetery. I'm, I'm so just a landmark. I'm messing with you. Yeah, we're not, we're not advertising for them. It's across from Franklin Park. It's, yes. Further down. Further down, yes. And, and you wouldn't know that either, mm -hmm. right? And so we... Are, and I use it because I said to Michelle Wu when she was there, weeks ago. Mayor Wu. Mayor Wu. Uh, yeah, Mayor Wu, respective. Um, she, I said to her, this is what we need more of in our communities. And she says she has a green agenda. Absolutely. In terms of greening the buildings Absolutely. and making them more Absolutely. Uh, sustainable yes. and, and the, in the new construction. Yes. And then 60% of this, the um, Boston Public Schools are actually were constructed um, before World War II. Yeah. So those sad. buildings are no, old. It's really and when sad. COVID hit, one of the biggest things was air quality. Yes. Horrible. And as you're, you're, you're a teach, former teacher, I'm on the board of the Boston Climate Action Network. And I'm also on the committee, where the BPS co campaign committee, where we're um, advocating for whole refurbishing um, of our buildings. The air quality is horrible. Ventilation needs to be changed and, and all of the whole entire system so that the children can experience clean air. You know, that's another And the whole teachers show. as well. And all, a, the, all of the, the staff in those That's another whole buildings. show as well in terms yes. of um, the $430 million ESSER funds that came from the federal government to do just that. <clears throat> yes. I'm just saying, you know. And here's the information right here. The Hero Nurturing Center presents Walking the Road to Resilience with Frederick Douglass. Um, and some of that information is kind of small. There's a scanning. I think you can actually, though, scan the code on the yes. television. And you can actually register for it. And it's on weekends. Yes. And so how late? Now, tell me about the workshops. How long are they during the day? I know you're providing food. They're and from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh, that's short. It's very short. Um, and you can get all your shopping and everything done. You can wake up late and you can still come. Still come, absolutely. And hear about how it is that we believe that you can learn from Frederick Douglass's life and mm -hmm. how resilient a person, man, he was and all of the tools that he used and how he became the resilient hero that we're talking about today, how many years later. You know, it's interesting. I was reading this um, social media posting from a, from a Bollywood actor, actually. And he was talking about, you really have to go through things um, in life that will make you tougher. And I think when people go through t a lot of trauma and everything, the, the reaction is to protect your kids from that. I'm, I don't want them to go through what I went through. But that's what actually makes you as strong and, and resilient, I wanna use that word, because when you know that you can go through that, 
then it gives you more confidence in terms of what you can survive and what you can go through. I mean, we talked about, um, you know, Frederick Douglass, but there was also Harriet Tubman. Yes. She broke out. <laughs> the first time she broke out, because she was married to a free black man, but she knew that any children she had were going to be slaves because of her status. Yeah. So she talked to her husband and was like, John, because that was his name, um, I was going to be free. I want to be free. Let's go. And he was like, nah, I'm cool. I'm, you know, the vernacular terms. He didn't really say it like that, but he did. Right. Because she broke out with her brothers, and yeah. her brothers punked out halfway through. Yeah. And she had to break back in to bring her brothers yeah. in, but then she still broke out. Yes. So when you talk about determination oh, and resilience. And resilience. Oh, Harriet. Oh, let's, that's for a whole nother show, because, you know, we, we don't want to. But we're still talking about resilience. Absolutely. And what does it take? What's the, and the difference between people now, this is my opinion, we all have them. I think that because young people have been so... Coddled? I was going to say protected. Um, protected. Because we know how traumatic. I mean, I, when I think about the people that I grew up with, a lot of them are not here. Yeah. I mean, stuff took them out. Yes. And I remember this old saying my, my, my nana used to say, baby, if it don't kill you, it's going to make, make you stronger. stronger. And I remember saying to her when I was a little kid, but Nana, it can kill you. So in my mind, even then, it was like, everybody's not going to make it through. That's right. And what does it take to make it through? And there are whole school curriculums that talk about grit. You know, yeah, how you put grit, how you raise your kids with grit and stuff like that. And, and, you know, what it takes to do that. But the bottom line is you can do whatever you, can do whatever you think you need to do and you still can not make it. Yes. But then you're also setting a blueprint for your kids or for your students or for people that are in your circle in terms of this is what we can do. Yes. Um, the fact that uh, when COVID first struck, most people, black people, thought about, oh, what's going to happen with Africa? Because they don't have the technology. And all we see in terms of media is, you know, people with flies in their eyes and stuff like that. Not even think about the major cities and the beginning of civilization and stuff because you have this, you know, so most people thought about it, and, and Trevor Noah, who's from South Africa, talked about it. But because they had gone through Ebola and malaria and all these other yes. things, Africa actually they survived because they, they were prepared. And they learned the lessons. Yes. And so as we teach these lessons, and if you, as you have these workshops on resilience and Frederick Douglass, what are you hoping some of the takeaways will be? So I, I thought about this um, before I, I crafted this um, and again, I have to give a shout out to Mass Humanities mm -hmm. who made this event possible for us because um, we're struggling. And if you want to donate to us, we have a website and uh, uh, also Facebook. So, you know, one of the, the major takeaways is, again, it's about resilience mm -hmm. and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we talk about things and we don't have an example for those things. And Frederick is a, although not here physically, He's left a lot of crumbs, breadcrumbs, if you will. He left whole loaves, whole and loaves of bread and slices and for us slices. to yes, for us to feast on to say, okay, well, how did he manage? And as we heard in a narrative, he used words, right? It's not that he wasn't angry or that he wasn't filled with rage about all the injustices that he had to face and the demoralization, dehumanization, and all the other ills and isms that he had to face, right? But he made a conscious effort, a conscious choice, how he was going to fight back. Mm -hmm. It's not that he didn't fight back, but he fought back in a way that was not, um, 
mm, he didn't die, thank goodness, but he fought back in an intellectual way. He used his words. He also, he used his words, but he also used his images. His persons. He also used images. If you look at the images of Frederick Douglass, he's never smiling. And there's a whole, um, we won't show that clip. We have another clip in about a minute during this break. Um, stay with us because he was an enslaved person who chose to be free and have other people free. Frederick Douglass was a slave. Stay with so, us and look at this. Yeah, so, no, okay. I'm gonna go and break, I'll right. be right back. Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey was born in February of 1818 on Maryland's eastern shore. Son of a slave, Frederick spent the majority of his childhood with his aunt and grandparents, seeing his mother only four or five times before her death when he was seven. During his childhood, he was exposed to brutal slavery, including whippings. Only eight years old, Frederick was auctioned off to a carpenter living in Baltimore. It is at this point that Douglas first read of the abolitionist movement, later saying, It laid the foundation and opened the gateway to all my subsequent prosperity. Douglas was sold to a slave breaker by the name of Edward Covey, who was notoriously brutal. Douglas was hardly fed and whipped every day. On January 1st, 1836, Douglas made a resolution that he would be free by the end of the year. He planned an escape, but in early April, he was jailed after his plan was discovered. Two years later, on September 3rd, 1838, Douglas finally was able to escape and traveled by train, steamboat, and train again to New York. Several weeks later, he traveled to New Bedford in Massachusetts. Frederick married a woman who he had met when he was a slave in Baltimore. It is at this time that he changed his name from Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey to Frederick Douglas. Living under his new name, Douglas started to read again, he joined a black church, and even attended abolitionist meetings. In 1841, Douglas saw William Lloyd Garrison, an abolitionist, speak at the Bristol Anti-Slavery Society's annual meeting. Douglas was moved by Garrison's speech, later saying, No face and form ever impressed me with such sentiments as did those of William Lloyd Garrison. The two became friends, and at age 23, a few days later, Douglas spoke at the Nantucket Anti-Slavery Society's annual convention. His speech about his life as a slave was moving, and was spoken in a very eloquent manner. Impressed by the speech, members of the society asked Douglas to become a permanent member. Later, Douglas published a narrative about his life as a slave. People warned him that this was dangerous because he was still technically an escaped slave. As a key member of the Anti-Slavery Society, Douglas traveled to Europe giving speeches about his life as a slave. During his tour in Europe, he first went to London, then to Edinburgh, and finally Dublin before returning home. When he returned home, he published his first issue of the North Star. This four-page weekly newspaper was dedicated to the current events surrounding the anti-slavery society and abolitionist movement. Over the years, the views of Douglas and Garrison ultimately diverged. Garrison began to represent the more radical abolitionists. He denounced churches, political parties, even voting. 
He also believed that the Constitution was a pro-slavery document. In addition, Frederick Douglass was becoming more of an independent thinker. For example, at one of his speeches in Syracuse, he said, The Constitution could be wielded in behalf of emancipation. Douglass also did not advocate the dissolution of the Union, since it would isolate slaves in the South. This difference in opinion led to a bitter dispute between Garrison and Douglass. Another famous abolitionist, Harry Beecher Stowe, tried to reconcile the differences between the two by sending a letter to William Lord Garrison. Sadly, the dispute continued through the Civil War. During the Civil War, Douglas conferred with Abraham Lincoln and helped recruit African Americans for the Union Army. After the war, Douglas would continue to fight for the rights of women and African Americans alike. On February 20th, 1895, Douglas attended a meeting with the National Council of Women in Washington, D.C. After the presentation, he was given a standing ovation by the audience. Shortly after he returned home, Douglas died of a heart attack or a stroke. Frederick Douglass led a life dedicated to the abolishment of slavery and to the promotion of black rights and women's rights. He was a gifted orator who used his word to change the minds of many. back and we've got um, information so when we give you all this information um, there's other information that we wanted you to have as well this is the week the month of June and so this week because we're live tonight Wednesday June 7th from 5 30 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Bruce Bowling Municipal Building 2300 Washington Street the city of Boston and new um, Chuck Gin Ginred Greenwich oh Lord Chuck I'm so sorry I mess up your name <laughs> Chuck, um, Chip Greenwich, Chip Greenwich, get it together, you know the man. Um, and the City of Boston Reparations Task Force is asking you to come and give your opinion on reparations. The task force will help the mayor and the City of Boston on healing racial inequities for the descendants of slavery. The meeting agenda is to meet task force members, hear the proposed timeline, and give your comments and your input. So when you say, well, they never asked me about that, well, this is an opportunity for you to come to um, the bowling building in person and actually give your opinion about what's going on. The other things that are happening, my guest is talking about healing, and there's also, again, this Thursday, um, let's talk about healing, trauma, grief, and the Healing Tour in Roxbury. It's a series of community conversations in partnership with the City of Boston. This Thursday, June 8th at 6.30 p.m., the 12th Baptist Church, 150 Warren Street, dinner will be provided, Woohoo! Um, and so the, this will also be coming to the Dorchester and Mattapan and Hyde Park, the healing tour of the city of Boston. But this Thursday, June 8th at 630 at the 12th Baptist Church on 150 Warren Street is where that will happening. There's also the Friends of Hyde Park Library. Guess books? There are books across the country that are being banned, but there are still libraries that are making that available. So um, on June 8th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week, June 8th, 9th and 10th at various hours, the Friends of the Hyde Park Library are having a book and media sale. And it's at the Menino Hall, Hyde Park Library, 35 Harvard Avenue. You can drop off donations, but there's books for adults, children, and teens. And I have one more thing here that I want to talk about. 
the Cooperative Business Workshop Series in person at Fields Corner Business Labs, 1452 Dorchester Avenue in Boston. There's a series. So Thursday, June 8th, Introduction to Cooperatives Virtual. Monday, June 12th, Creating a Business Model. Thursday, June 15th, Democratic Management. Thursday, June 22nd, Legal and Taxes. Monday, June 16th, Finding Finances. And Thursday, June 29th, Cooperative Road Mapping. And that was held by, let me see if I can expand this, uh, the City of Boston Empowerment, Economic Opportunity and Inclusion in the Boston Center for Community Ownership. So these are events that um, can give you information if you have a business, if you have an opinion um, in terms of what needs to happen for the Reparations Task Force. There are a bunch of people on it that are people of color, but they're not you. And so you need to show up as a community member for public comment and testimony to the City of Boston Reparations Task Force and George Chip Greenwich. I'm so sorry, Chip, that I butchered your name. I love you. Um, that's supposed to be happening um, Wednesday, June 7th. So Wednesday starts it off with the reparations comments, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then also we have the workshops, the nine different workshops with my guests, the Hero Nurturing Center, Yes. And nurturing heroes and sheroes. Yes. Right? Because we need young people. So this is not an old people thing. No. We're going to be going around hugging no, trees no. and picking up <laughs> mushrooms and everything. This is really for the community to come together. Yes. And as quiet as it's kept, people of, all, people of color have always been connected to the land. Absolutely. Always Absolutely. been connected to the land. Absolutely. And, and I have can... people who don't even know it. Because yes. they'll say, oh, my knee is hurting, so it must be getting ready to rain. So we don't even, we ignore stuff like that, yes. but there's really some truth to that. Yes, absolutely there is. And you, you had asked before we went on to the break, what are the takeaways that I hope that people can get from mm -hmm. Hero Nurturing Center, mm -hmm. not just the uh, Reed and Frederick Douglass series, but um, we want to bring awareness that this is a public health issue. It's a public health mission that Hero is on, right? Again, you know, the so name. when you say it's a public health issue, the, what, the nature deficit disorder. There you go. That's a public health issue. Okay. And Hero is just attempting using this one methodology, Mother Nature, to be a catalyst for solving or at least being a solution to the catalyst to this problem. And so I'm hoping that folks that are listening will um, support us in the legislation, at least discussion towards leading to legislation to make nature prescriptive. Connect the dots. Oh, wait a minute, slow up. Yes. To make nature prescriptive. So yes. So you're trying to get the HMOs and the medical. Yes. So when you need to go on a nature walk, if it costs you something like walking a zoo, they yes, can pay for it. Yes, absolutely. Let's break it down. Now absolutely. make it plain. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, Canada has done so. Mm -hmm. And so for the, the last five years that I've been doing this work, mm -hmm. my whole, you know, role and existence is to just bring attention to the fact that nature is a healer, scientifically proven, that if, you know, we're surrounded by green things, it's not the cure-all for everything, but it does alleviate high blood pressure, it lowers, stress. you know, stress, and so it affects the entire body function system. And there's also some people, so some people, you know, God bless me for the beautiful home with a beautiful backyard, however, you can make uh, steps towards doing that even if you're in an apartment. There are yes. certain plants that clean the air of chemicals yes. in the apartments. Google it. We're not going to tell you tonight. Um, so there are, um, I have a fish, right? Yeah. I'm used to, I'm growing up, I'm used to growing up with yes. pets. 
and um, dogs, cats. At one point, I almost got a monkey. Funny story, I'm not going to talk about that tonight either. But I've always had pets and, and some kind of an animal. And then um, when my daughter, my daughter was at a school that was in, off of Blue Hill Avenue. And, um, but we lived down near Interville Street, which was the 16 bus. Mm -hmm. So when we were waiting for the bus, we would walk from the school and be at the Franklin Park Zoo. I think that's what made my daughter think, think she wanted to be a veterinarian. <laughs> and so literally, you're there with the animals and the weather, you could see their, um, their coats are getting thicker. Yes. Or you're watching the different signs. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, all my grandparents were Southerners and they were growers. And so they would tell you if the moon looks like this, yes. if the sun looks like yes. that. Um, and then for anybody who went into the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, the Cub Scouts, you had this nature and wilderness training Experience, thing. Experience, yes. And, but we've gotten away from yes. that. We've even got to the point of where we're not even letting kids go outside for resource and, resource and, and, resource and stuff like that. Yes. So tell us the effects of that on our kids. So again. Because I remember it was punishment if you had yes. to stay inside. Well, for me, coming from Jamaica, recess was never a punishment for me. I was upset when we couldn't go outside. Right. And so the trend for the last, say, 20 years, if you know, folks have not noticed, you'll see less and less children playing outside, riding their bikes, you know, safety. Playing and in the dirt. Playing in the dirt. And so we see a lot of the allergic reactions, right? My child is allergic to dirt. My child, just a whole host of things that your child is allergic to. And so again, you have to acclimate your child to the outdoor environment. Those are not my words, but they're scientifically proven mm -hmm. that the more time you spend around green things, the more healthier your cognitive, your whole entire body will be. And again, it's not a cure-all for everything, but we know that sometimes, especially in these inner cities, the indoor air is as more toxic inside than it is outside. So there's a whole host of reasons why we need to spend more time outdoors. And being active. And in active. particular, yes, be active and in Mother Nature. And also be active at these community forums because the, 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 we, you talked about it and I talked about it before we even got on the air. I'm going to talk about y'all. A lot of these meetings are being held and we're not showing yes. up. Yes. We're not in the room. Yes. But then the justification for people that are holding these meetings is like, well, we had the community meetings and the community didn't show up. So now we're going to have bus stops in the middle of Siva Street. Now we're going to have these little plastic pylons cutting down for um, lanes for bike riders that are not in our community at the level that it's, you know, so, so you have to show up. Absolutely, because decisions are made on your behalf and you're not included in the decision-making process. And a lot of the times it's not our fault, the community. Some of these meetings are happening at Friday at 12 o'clock when we're at work. Or and, in school. Or in school. And so these are the things that need to be changed, right? As I said, I'm on the board of the Boston Climate Action Network. They're doing excellent work. So wait a minute. What's the demographics of the people that show up to the meeting? Mm, we're not there. We're not there. You know, and even at times when they have the night meetings, we're still not there. And it's for a lot of reasons. It's not just because we're not interested, right? right? Because again, a lot of us are single moms. We're overburdened. You know, we're not getting paid properly. Are you working two and three jobs? Yes. And you, we know that the, the medical system has its disparities as well. So we're not being cared for. We're not being nurtured. So a lot of these things get left by the wayside for more important things, right? Right. And even when it came to COVID, I mean, and there was all these booster, booster shots and vaccinations, mm -hmm. it came down to how healthy is your body? 
Yes. How vulnerable are you? How many comorbidities or how many things you have that's going to kill you? Comorbidities. Yes. How sick are you? How healthy yes. you are? What's your immune conditions. system? Pre-existing conditions. What is your what is your system like? Yes. Can you fight back the stuff that you're dealing with? Do you, are you eating the right foods yes. to give you the fuel to be able to And are you moving? Rejuvenate? Are yes. you sleeping? And sleeping is another one. So these are the things that you will learn if you come to our nine-week series of the Walk in the Road to Resilience with Frederick Douglass, and if you come be a part of Hero in general, these are the things that we teach you so that you can have them in your toolbox to build your resilience. It's like having hurricane shutters for the hurricane before the hurricane comes. Mm -hmm. We know trauma is going to come. We know trouble is going to come. And so in order for you to fight the despair and the depression that will inevitably come because we healthy. all you've got to be healthy mentally mentally physically and emotionally. emotionally and spiritually which is not talked about here in America and Western no 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 we talk about it well you just get talked about it in, different in a ways. church way and I'm not no, no, talking no, no, about no, no, in a I'm church way there's people that I know of that right. they're at the guild and yourself yes that um Nataka I'm gonna give Nataka a shout out with the farms and stuff, yes, right? Yes, love the taka, hi, and so, taka. You know, there are people that we know yes. that are out there, yes. um, you know, that we're fighting and still fighting, friends of mine that were fighting the level four bio lab that's yes. right down near the hospitals, right? Right next door to the nature center, as a matter of fact. And so you've got these bio labs, these that um, universities with the, with the blessing of the city yes. are creating these things in the labs, yes. assuming that maybe the enemy will do it. So we'll get to it first so we can give you something. But the, situ but the place where it is placed is near the most vulnerable populations. Yes. If something were to get out of that, then you've got the expressway that could spread it throughout the country, basically, and throughout the city. And then you've got the hospitals that are right there, another vulnerable, and it's a congested area, and, what's high, and you've got schools and everything there. So, but there's money, and there's money in research, and Big Pharma is making money, and it made a lot of money during the pandemic. Absolutely. So we gotta show up at these meetings, show up, you know, reparations, I know exactly what I want because my family was from her and we helped to build it for, to be the fantastic country that other people are leaving countries to be here, but we haven't got paid yet. Everybody in this country has gotten reparations except for African-Americans, black Americans in this country who built it for free and are still building it at less than the money. Um, I, I was talking recently to a doctor and I said, the reason why they call it medical practice is y'all still practicing and you're still figuring out. Absolutely. And they're still... The, uh, you know, black women in this country, regardless of their status, educational status or socioeconomic, or are dying three times more than Absolutely. white women in maternal, Absolutely. maternal fetal. So, and then we come down to where we got to go. So can you give information on? I can't. So Saturday, June 17th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., we'll be at the Nature Center, 500 Walkers, Walk Hill Street, Mattapan, to celebrate Juneteenth with our public readings Walking the Road to Resilience with Frederick Douglass. And one of the takeaways that I'm hoping is, again, to educate that the environmental health is our health. We are not disconnected from the environment. And this is the message that Hero wants to spread. And we want to, again, spread hope. Hero is all about spreading hope. And then we also want to talk about briefly the Cuba trip. Yeah. So part of Hero's programming is uh, we can show the slate while you're talking allowing about, yeah. folks to experience what I've experienced mm -hmm. several times 
and this is why I'm offering it to folks, um, and particularly frontline workers. Mm -hmm. The delegation is called Healing Our Land, Healing Ourselves, and it means just as it sounds. Mm -hmm. If we heal the land, the land will heal us with good fresh fruits, vegetables, clean rain, you know, mm -hmm. take care of our land. And so again, it's um, December 8th starts the delegation to the 18th. And we'll have you back before closer to December. Yes, because I'm recruiting on um, HeroNurtureAndCenter.com. <laughs> Our email address is HeroCenter22 at gmail.com. You can email me if you're interested in the Cuba delegation. You can even um, hit me up um, on Facebook as well, Hero Nur Healing Empathy Redemption Oasis. And so thank you so much for being my guest here. You know I couldn't let you go without giving you some more information that you can do. So right now there's a discussion about safety in the schools. For some of you that know, there was a young um, child who had a weapon inside of the King School in Dorchester. There have been incidents in the school, in the community, around the school, and it's starting to get warmer. So shout out to my girl, Ruby Reyes, the Executive Director of Boston Education Justice Alliance. She is an amazing op-ed. Why does BPS skip restorative justice as a solution to school safety? Right now there are discussions about putting $30 million in surveillance cameras in the schools and whether or not police should be back in school. So we're talking about the school to prison pipeline and these are your children. Uh. Whether you have children in the Boston Public Schools or not, these are our kids. You need to check in. There is legislation this week around all these other issues. Thank you so much for being here with us live. Please, this will get, <coughs> excuse me, this program will get rerun again. And you know when you come to our show, you gotta bring a pen and a pencil because we've got information to bring you on another level. Thank you so much. Take care of each other and yourselves. God bless. Because the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, cause we're coming like a gang on the streets. So you better start running. It's time for some action now. Historical progressions, generations march in succession through 400 years. Hate, blood, sweat, and tears, and counting. The resistance is mounting.